All right, we are back, and it is whatever the heck month this is. Um, September? This is the fall edition. Yeah, that's about how it's going these days. <laughs> uh, this is Behind the DM Screen, where three DMs get together to talk about their games and help each other out. <laughs> and Mike is going first, so I will start the timer now while Mike can talk, talk about his game. Are you ready? Sure. So I am running a uh, two different Curse of Strahd games. Uh, I am running... Uh, oh, man. Oh, all the things. <laughs> Sorry. Alarms, and I got it. My, my beautiful and wonderful wife, along with my chocolate pudding, just brought me a decaf skinny mocha from Starbucks. Ooh. My favorite drink. So I'm going to set wow. that, but I'm going to. That's another reward. Sorry. That and also 30 my... seconds down. Yes. Okay. So I'm running two different Curse of Strahd <laughs> games. Uh, and both games have hit this point. I sort of think of them like a, like a harmonic frequency. Like they start to waver a little bit, and then they start to waver a little more, and then they waver a little more, and then by the end, they're just flailing around in, in absolute insanity. Like, and, like uh, in comparison to each other, or just that's how the well, campaign goes? Yeah, well, that's how my campaigns typically go, particularly when I run published adventures. Like they, they all kind of go totally off the rails eventually. And one of them is completely off the rails. And then one of them is kind of kind of still close to the way the book is written, but it also has its own things. Um, and I'm going to focus on the one that's totally off the rails because I think I think it's kind of interesting. And I've and that's that's one where I have I have questions and and, and need help. Uh, so typical Curse of Strahd game, they're running around doing stuff. There's parts of Curse of Strahd that I didn't really like. I didn't like the island of Doctor Moreau, um, village of Berez, I think it is. Uh, so I kind of got rid of that because I was like, I don't know, dudes with little babies stuck out of the sides of their neck sounds weird, and I don't want to do that. So um, I focused a lot on Argonvoss. So I, rem- I don't remember that being a thing at all. Yeah, <laughs> one of those chapters in there, which just never really grabbed me. It's yeah, and it, it, it think yeah. Anyway, so I, I skipped that part. But I had like, both groups went and dealt with um, Baba La Saga. Uh, both groups dealt with Argonvoss Holt. Uh, I added in some of my own factions, so I had a a new Knights of the Silver Dragon, which is sort of disenfranchised villagers of Barovia who got together to say, "We are now the new Knights of the Silver the Knights of the Silver Dragon, mm-hmm. and we're going to flush the evil from the place." And they're all, you know, young and humans, and they're stupid, and they're like hang people for anything. Okay. Um. <laughs> um uh, sorry, dog. Um. No one. Nothing wants me to do this session tonight so uh they so those guys are causing trouble all over the place and there's all kinds of other things that are going on um and throughout it it's kind of like i'm, I'm always kind of saying like okay well what's strad up to now you know like what's strad doing is sure. one of my common questions when i'm running the game and in both games as soon as the player the, the, the characters kill baba la saga strad goes from enjoying watching them go around to can we swear i forget are we allowed to swear I mean, you're allowed to. I generally discourage, but whatever. Holy crap. <laughs> who the, who are these guys? And I'm worried about them. Because if they can kill Baba La Saga, they can kill me. So I'm now no longer just kind of amused of them going around and doing crazy. Because I always feel like Strahd loves to have the PCs come into Barovia just because Barovia is boring without them. So he's been continually bringing in adventurers. They've been getting into all kinds of shenanigans. Eventually they die and they become his vampire minions. At least that's in, in my version of it. That's kind of what typically goes on. But killing Baba La Saga, that's something totally different. You know, that's, she's really hard. He knows she's really hard. 
she's a really powerful entity inside Barovia. And if they can beat her, they can beat anybody. And now he's like, okay, now I got to do stuff. Um, in the game that went off the rails, the other variable was that Irina, they left Irina. I can't remember if they left her with, uh, I think they left her in Veliki with her brother, Isaac who uh, was a good guy in this version. In another version, he's a bad guy, but in this one, he's a good guy. And I and and, and Strahd releases vampires all over the place. He lets he basically un, un, opens up his vault, and these guys called Feral Vampires, a type of vampire you can find on SlyFlourish.com, um, he sends out just hundreds of them, right? Like, oh, these are all the vampires he's been making over the years. And he just says, fine, I got I to gotta get control over what's going on in Barovia, and I'm going to set him free. So he opens up the vaults. The, the vampires go everywhere. And now there's vampire battles going on all over uh, Barovia. And his goal is, I want to cause battles all over the place, and then I need to get a hold of Irina. Uh, one other little twist I had is, because he's pretty omnipotent, he kind of sees everything that's going on in Barovia, one of the tricks is he can't see her, right? He can't, mm. he can't scry on her and figure out where she is. And I, in this version of the game, most of this is my own crap, so don't think that I'm actually, like I said, it went off the rails. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things is that Isaac figured out that those little Irina dolls that he makes, uh, those act like her. Those those create blank spots that Strahd can't see. So he, she, I, I, uh, Isaac makes a bunch of these dolls, spreads them all over the place, and then grabs Irina and says, where's the one place we can go where Irina will be safe from Strahd now that all these vampires are all over the place? And the one place he knows that he can go is the Amber Temple. And everybody in Barovia hmm. knows the Amber Temple is a horrible place. Don't go there. It's terrible. And he's like, yeah, but Strahd won't go there. It's one of the only places in Barovia Strahd can't reach. So I'm going to take her there. Can't or won't? Can't. He can't go there. And, and and for reasons that will become clear. Okay. So he was made there. That's still, and that's in the book, right? Um, he was made there, but whatever it was that made him, he doesn't want to go back there. And I know in the book, I think it says he does go back there and he, he you know, regularly goes back to get new power. In mine, he does not. He has a specific reason why he doesn't go back there. Uh, and the reason is Exanthar? 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 Exanthar. The Lich. There is a lich in the Amber Temple who made Strahd. And the lich, in my version, is a full-powered lich. He is not insane, and he didn't lose his spells. That's stupid. So he's a full <laughs> lich. And Strahd says, if I go back there, this lich is going to just shred me. And, you know, and secret, a secret that has been revealed, Strahd has the lich's phylactery. He stole it when he left. So the lich wants Strahd, and Strahd doesn't want to go back to the lich. Because hmm. he... he He'll, he'll lose all this. Anyway, he, Irina this, goes this is there. The, this is the same Strahd that, like, threw Morden Kanan from the tops of his tower and just beat the hell out of him. Yeah. Okay. Morden Kanan. <laughs> it was crazy. And that was another little plot thread I didn't really touch yeah. on in the, in the book. I don't know. Mostly for time. It just didn't grab me when I read it. Um, so Isaac takes Irina to the Amber Temple. He goes through Mount Gracchus. Mount, as soon as they go south of the Solanka Pass... Uh, they go from the quote-unquote civilized lands of Barovia into the wilds of Barovia, a place where even the vampires won't go. None of, none of the creatures that work for Strahd will go south of Solanka Pass because they know it's just a horrible place down there. They know it's deadly to them. So they don't go that way. But uh, Isaac and Irina do. And um, uh, one of the reasons they do is because Isaac is also from the Amber Temple. The thing that gave him his crazy arm and his crazy fire powers was 
uh, the same lich tried to do it to him, only he's not nearly as powerful as Strahd, so it sort of just mutated him instead of did, actually did making Did the himself. book actually say that the lich gave Strahd his powers? I thought it was one of the dark entity or whatever yes, that were trapped in the it was one or... of the dark entities. Yeah, in yeah. Mine, mine, he is the dark entity. The, the, the lich, the, the lich sort of yeah, combines right. all He these... still uses the coffins, right? There's all the coffins in the Amber Temple, and they're right. still filled with Elfman's Eagle. I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, so I don't know when I'm going to manage to cover all this stuff, but we're going to keep going. So um, the party goes to... Well, the- if Jeff would quit interrupting you, maybe yeah. you'd have no, a chance. Yeah. So, um, Questions! So, yeah, so they go. So the party's going to Argenvast Holt. That's pretty normal. The revenants there are saying, look, look, our goal is to make sure that nothing changes in Barovia because Strahd is in hell now and we want to keep him here. And the actual entity, the Silver Dragon, tells our group and including his avatar, uh, one of the characters named Dolomite, who has now become the leader of the Knights of the Silver Dragon, says to him, they've lost their way. You guys have to take them back again. So they fought the, they fought the Revenants. They beat the Revenants. They got fancy loot. And they managed to lead the, knight, the new Knights of the Silver Dragon. And there was this great moment where Dolomite, who's the tiefling paladin uh, sort of you know avatar of, of Argenvast, tells the new uh, uh, the new mother general, who's this woman that runs the Knights of the Silver Dragon now, and they're having a discussion about what is and isn't allowed. And she's like, well, we're still allowed to burn villagers, right? And he's like, no. And she says, well, what about hanging them? Hanging them's okay, though, right? And she's like, no, you can't hang them. Well, what about cutting off their hands if they do stuff? No, we can't do that either. So there's a lot of like negotiation trying to get them to calm down. Anyway, while they come out, they come outside, and Strahd is there, and he's got, like, 50 vampires he has these two guys called the brothers which are these vampire knights that are like his personal bodyguards and he says we all have a problem Irina is going to the worst place in Barovia she has no idea what's there you have to go there and save her and by the way I'm taking one of the party members hostage so that to make sure that you actually bring her to me because you, you know, had a player who's going to be gone for a while or something? Because a player who actually left the game. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the player nice. was leaving the game. His character became a you know, was sort of a, you know, a disgruntled volunteer who said, I'll go with Strahd. And because um, Strahd said, either that or I can just kill you all right here. You know, I've got a giant army of vampires just waiting to wipe you guys out. And, you know, and, and the party could have fought him. And maybe they would have even won because they're, you know, as, as, as will come to be seen, they are pretty unstoppable. Um. But they said, well, no, we want to save Irina, too. Okay, fine. We'll go. So the group headed to the Amber Temple. Strahd went back to his place. So they go to the Amber Temple, and they face off against the Lich. And the Lich says, hey, I have Irina. Isaac is, like, gone crazy. He's in the corner, and I, I just, you know. Oh, they fought a uh, Beholder Death Tyrant, by the way. So they fought a Beth- the Beholder Death Tyrant. was, like, the main guard of the Amber Temple. They fought him and beat him. I think he did disintegrate somebody. No, I don't think he disintegrated somebody the lich did so um they fought him they beat that thing then they went in and and the lich is there and the lich has this wall of force up and he's sitting there writing in a book and he says here's the deal i'm gonna i'm building a weapon against strahd and i want you to deliver this weapon and they're like is it a sword and he's like no and he's like is it new spells and he's like no it's not new spells it is irena i am rebuilding irena into a weapon against strahd in fact i'm building her the same way i built strahd she's downstairs in one of the coffins right now getting infused with vampiric blood and when she's done she'll be as powerful as he is and you can take her to him it'll be like the perfect trojan horse the the anti the the anti-strahd anti-strahd and they're like yeah that sounds like a terrible idea (laughs) (laughs) Those suck eggs and and we're gonna fight and he says okay i'll drop this wall of force but one of you is gonna die right away like right now who who of you do you want it to be? 
And they look around and they're like, we're going to pick the sorcerer because the sorcerer had rolled on the wild magic table and can be reincarnated if he dies. So they made their bluff check. He drops the wall. He hits that guy with a power word kill. Dude falls over dead and then is immediately resurrected as a human. Great fight ensues. Huge battle against a lich plus two shield guardians. And a, a group of six level nine, level eight, level eight characters beat a 22, a, a CR 22 lich. Now, granted, one of them got disintegrated, and granted that, like, I don't know, everybody was down at least once. Um, but they beat him. A lich and two shield guardians. Mm-hmm. So now he's destroyed. He dissipates, and they're like, well, somewhere there's a phylactery. We don't know where it is, but he's obviously coming back. What they don't know is he's coming back into Strahd's control in in um, in uh, Castle Ravenloft. Ravenloft, yeah. They go downstairs, and they see this uh, emaciated being that's like chained up to the wall with silver chains and has holy water being poured continually over his head uh whose arms have been sliced open and his veins are being fed into one of the coffins and this being who looks like he you know has been dead for a thousand years looks up and says please free me and our barbarian played by my wonderful and beautiful wife uh frees him by cutting off his hands (laughs) to free chains (laughs) he drops to the ground he stands up and he um what is it called? He exsanguinates one of the party members, uh, re- like remotely. Like he pulls the blood out of his body from twenty feet away, mm-hmm. and ingests it, and gets you know bigger and thicker, and his body starts to you know reform. One of the party members hacks him with a sword. The wound immediately closes, and he just looks at him and smiles and disappears. And they're like, "Wow, that was weird." So they open up the coffin. There's Irina, and she's been getting fed in this blood. They wake her up. She's kind of freaking out, but she's okay. She's not an a evil super vampire. And then they look around the chamber, and there's six other coffins with the dark gifts. And in my version, the dark gifts are these planar entities that have been trapped by adventurers 2,000 years ago and placed in this place to make sure no, they don't get out. This mm-hmm. is all before Strahd was there. And they have a choice. They can accept the dark gifts, or they can just leave them be. And I think four of the six of them chose dark gifts. And each time <laughs> they they lay in a coffin and it sort of transports them to this alien world where they face off against these crazy alien beings. Uh, they fought a um, these moon devil moon devils on this plane where the moon devils are birthed by this thing called the mother, which is this enormous spider larva creature that dumps out a thousand eggs a day and they all turn into these like giant bat wing devil things. And, you know, so they, each one, they see these crazy alien worlds. Um, and the worst one was the the one that gave him the quote-unquote star was fighting a star spawn of Cthulhu uh, on a world that Cthulhu had taken over. And uh, he proceeded to uh, look at Berengar, the barbarian played by my wonderful and beautiful wife, and rolled a critical hit on a disintegrating gaze mm. and disintegrated her on the spot. The good news is it's another world. So when they came back to the other world, she's there. Berengar's there. But he's a little crazy because he actually felt like he got disintegrated. Right. So he's a little good. All of the other ones that accepted the gifts are have also received these like fiendish traits. Uh, on The one that accepted the gift of the moon now has eyes that shine like an alien moon. Uh, the one that accepted the gift of, the, of war has hands that are clawed like crazy lizard hands. Um, they all have these weird traits. So four mm-hmm. of the six of them. One of them hasn't decided yet, and Berengar just said, "No, I'm not. I'm not going to coffin. That's that's madness." Which is probably the smart choice. Sure, but you know, 
they all got the equivalent of a boon. So and, they can and, like roll a d10 once a day and add it to any d20 roll. That was the one for fate. Uh, the moon was you get magic resistance. So each one had like a trait for the character that they could have. So it's, now it's, it's like giving characters the opportunity to pull from the deck of many things, right? The the right answer is always don't do it, but the fun answer, right answer is yeah, like, go, let's right go crazy. Exactly. You know? Right answer is don't do it. The fun answer is hell yes, let's go do it. Right. <laughs> and and is, I, I pulled monsters that were all from the Tome of Beasts, so they're all totally wild. Like they're sure. you know these monsters are off the wall, and and I wanted because it's like they're they're facing beings that no mortals have ever have seen in two thousand years. <laughs> so now they leave, and they got a vignette. Uh, out, out of character that showed this guy walking across the snow without a shirt on who wipes out a barbarian tribe in like three seconds just by sucking the blood out of their bodies. And then they, um, they, so they, they get Irina, they're heading back, they get to Salanka Pass and this great mist rolls up and Strahd and the two, the two brothers on all riding on nightmares stop and Strahd gets off and he's like, what did you guys do? You know, <laughs> are you kidding me? You went there to save Irina and you let free the ancient one, the first vampire. He's now free running around in Barovia. And you thought I was bad. Right? Like I'm, you know, I'm afraid of this guy. And now he's roaming around. And from what I understand, he just went to the closest inhabited place, which is Argenvasthol, where all your guys are. <laughs> so you want to do something about it, you're going to have to go there and take care of this guy because I'm not going to. That's your problem. Right? And he gets back on his horse and takes off. So It's interesting how in your Barovia, Strahd, the, you know, the devil Strahd is like the 10th worst terror in, in the land. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kind of. He's like third. Yeah. <laughs> but the other two were holed up in the Amber Temple. He didn't have to worry about them. You know, until now. So... They go to uh, the, the last thing that happened is they went to Argenvastholt and the whole place is just a slaughterhouse. And this guy is floating in the middle of the place, you know, sucking blood out of people from 20 feet away. He's got a pair of great swords that are swirling around him, chopping people down. And they're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? You know, and they look at him. By the way, he looks like a Neanderthal. Like he is so old that he doesn't look like a human. He's 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 like 250,000 years old. He he's was the, one he's of the, the vampire Vandal Savage. Yeah, he's just, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, the, DC, the DC Comics fans out there understand. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Being Superman or something. So um, so here's, here's kind of the problem. My game has gone completely off the rails. And I think some people are kind of digging it. Some people are like, yeah, this is, you know, not what I expected. I kind of like it because it's not what I expected, right? I didn't think they were going to, I didn't know how this stuff was going to happen. Um. But it's gotten away from Curse of Strahd, right? It's gotten away from, hey, we're going to go to Castle Ravenloft. We're going to crawl through the, you know, we're going to crawl through the dungeon. We're going to face Strahd and we're going to beat him. Just, you know, like, like I-6 has always done. Now it's like, you know, who the hell is this guy? We got a guy that's 250,000 years old who made Strahd, you know, and we got to fight him instead. So what do I do? <laughs> oh, that's where you're getting um... <laughs> question i mean you've got right because you've got a bunch of players who whose characters were not prepared for strahd shouldn't have been prepared for the lich and now you're saying there's the thing that's more powerful well, than both of them <laughs> well so one of the things is like i mean if you have a group so they are level nine now and they're hardcore like you know this is the same group i've been playing with for like 10 years they've been playing D D forever they they work really well together 
Um, and they make strong guys. And, you know, for example, with that Lich, if I had not given the Lich two shield guardians that were absorbing hit point damage, mm-hmm. uh, they'd have beat him in one round. You know, he, he's only got like 130 hit points and they do like 120 around. So they'd have beat the Lich easily, uh, assuming they could get up to him and hit him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the same the same thing's kind of true with Strahd, right? You look at him, you're like, they're going to beat him. But now, now, and Strahd knows this, right? Like, Strahd just watched him, as I, as I like to say. Strahd's done a regression analysis on this. And he's looked and said, wow, you know, everybody I thought they would lose to, they beat. Mm-hmm. You know, and where am I on this list? So Strahd knows this, too. So he's going to be ready for that, too. And he's pretty smart. In fact, he's way smarter than the Ancient One. You know, the Ancient One just eats everybody. Okay. So what you're telling me is in Strahd's bedchamber in Castle Ravenloft... There are Excel graphs all over the walls yes. with these regression lines. He's done the math. Yeah, yeah he's he, a, he did the he's math. A data scientist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's he's looked at the you know, he's looked at it and said, well, let's see, they beat you know, <laughs> Saga when they were level seven. They beat a you know a Lich when they were level eight. You know, we'll although, see how they do next. Although it could right? be interesting if um, if the ancient one. You know, if if the unbeatable ancient one was actually like the one unbeatable thing that they ran into, um, but because of Strahd's curse, he can't. He also can't leave, right? Right. So, so that, maybe, that is exactly the case. Yeah. So maybe his he has a vested interest in in sort of. Yeah. The, the, the issue with him is I don't even know if he knows that though, right? Like this is a wild animal. This is this is as I refer to it. He's the Tarask of vampires. Right, like he's just batshit crazy. But is and, he, or has he been? And perhaps after feeding enough, he may come back to his own mind enough to to recognize his situation. Like, I think I think he would sort of bang on the walls and realize that wait a minute, this isn't what I wanted. A in 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 my little fiction, he he killed every living thing on the planet he was on before they captured him. Mm-hmm. You know, like because he I mean it was in the early days of like tribal tribal stuff, so there wasn't that many right. quote unquote people. But he, he got them all, right? right. And he, he's going to recognize, like, if this place has limits, I need to break the limits. Sure. I just I, figure- I, I have a vision in my head of, um, you know, in a traditional sort of his, uh, horror sort of story, which Ravenloft kind of is, right? Yeah. Um, I, ha- I have this vision in my head of, okay, congratulations, you won. You broke St- Strahd's curse. Barovia is free. But in the process, yeah. this thing is now wandering, you know, the universe well, and what have you. And so, I, yeah, one of the one of the things which may or may not have been a mistake is is I could have just had the guy disappear, right? That that he's freed, he smiles, he laughs, and maybe they hear history about, oh my god, you just released the two hundred fifty thousand year old ancient one, right? And he's, you know, he's he'll eat the whole planet if you let him. Um, but that's but that's a story for another day. We're here about Strahd, right? Right. And instead, I was like, no, he's walking around in Barovia. Like, the guy's free. So, you know, what would he do? I, I went back to my old, my old favorite way of running a game. What does he do? Well, he starts eating people. Which way does he go? Where are there people? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I say, like, he, you know, like, he doesn't even speak. He doesn't have a language. There wasn't a language when he was around. Right? There was, there was bare, the only writing was, like, ancient glyphs that were tattooed on his body. By yeah, but he's had a lot of time to learn stuff. But I don't think he did. Right, because he killed everybody. So he, no- but he would, yeah, he was trapped. Yeah, and once he was caught, he was trapped. He, he's not. Years. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't had a chance to really. He didn't live. Have a, he didn't live a life. Yeah. Okay. Right. See. Right. He's, then, he's, yeah. So. So. I. I mean. I. I could almost see him just sort of wandering the countryside of Barovia, causing occasional mayhem that they bump into. 
But like in this instance where they see him, you know, with the 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 great swords flying around, killing people, and all this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> that he he points them. He you know the sort of prophetic vision, or or points them in the right direction, or whatever that puts them on the path to defeating Strahd, even without. Well, you, yeah, to so, speak, right? Yeah. So let me, yeah, let me, let me change the question a little bit. Okay. So, so they're they're gonna fight the ancient one next week. Okay. <laughs> uh, first, first thing, right? Like, because they they're starting there. Like they're you know the last thing they saw was they're they're in front of him and he's there. They're, killing they're going after him. Yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. So no, you're, I, you're, I, you're, I definitely. I mean, your it's that, and they is... watch everybody they like get slaughtered in the next yeah. five seconds. So, so they're, they're gonna fight him and they're they're gonna beat him because he's just one dude. And they beat liches, right? And like I had to be real careful for the lich to not die right away. So they'll beat this guy. Um, the question is, at that point, Strahd's like, "Oh my God, he beat the ancient one." So I can do one of basic I, I, one of two things, but there may be other options. And one is, Shell, can you hear me? No, she can't. You got headphones on. So one of them She's is pretending that she can. Yeah. <laughs> one of them is he'll say like, yeah, well, he'll, he'll have to basically he'll have to set up another deal with them that they'll have to say yes to that makes sure that they don't fight him. Because he knows if they fight me, I'm dead. Because they've killed everything. Right. But I, mean, I can set things it's up. That's not like the, it's not like Strahd hasn't died before. Well, but it, it, you know now in, in in to use the true the true blood you know the true death is what he's facing right because his coffin's like downstairs, um, but what he could say is like look we'll make this deal I get what I want and I let you leave um, Barovia I'll I'll open up the mist and you can get out, and we'll call it a day, you know and if you don't do that I'm gonna make this you know I'm gonna hurt a lot of people you like. Even if you beat me, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, which is kind of a jerk move, right? And the other one is I could just go back to the traditional way, which is they go through Castle Ravenloft, they get to see a lot of cool stuff, they fight Strahd and they beat him. Which for some people I think might be fun. Because sure. they just want they just want good old fashioned Ravenloft. But one of the things that I've been cluing into is like the, the ongoing joke is that, you know, we fought seven things that said you're going to die here today and then they died, you know. Is Strahd going to be the eighth to say right. the same thing? Well, yeah, it's, start, it's starting to lose its impact. I mean, as much as well, the, as much yeah. as you want the traditional, or some people might like the traditional sort of go into Castle Ravenloft sort of thing. Um, It'll be hard because, like, like I said, Strahd's got two vampire bodyguards, and he's going to have like four other smaller vampires. With well, him. wait, wait, back up, back up. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, two questions actually. First, if he offered them that deal, do you think the players would take it? I don't know. And second, they might. Do you think he would really offer them that deal? I think, or he, would, or would he provide? Would he provide them a way out without making it obvious that he's providing it for them? You know, let them kind of one, discover it so they feel like they were successful. But he actually is. Hmm. That's he, an interesting. But, but yeah, that's because he is about all for him to escape, all, right? Right. He doesn't have to like lose face by saying, "Okay, I recognize you're too powerful." I mean, he wouldn't say that necessarily, but it's uh, going to be obvious. I recognize you're too powerful, so I'm going to offer you this deal. I'm going to let you out, and you basically got to leave me alone. Right. Right. Instead of doing that, would he sort of lead them or let them find their way out 
provide them a few challenges, but then take off so that he didn't have to face them. Hmm. And then he still gets to be master of his own domain, and they feel like they succeeded too. Like, that seems like something a s- intelligent villain would do. Right. And mm-hmm. that matches that that sort of super genius. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think you got to. Yeah. So do you remember uh, the Dark Knight? You're a DC guy, right? The Dark yes. Knight Returns, the original Dark Knight Returns back in 80, whatever. And Batman and Superman are fighting. And Batman takes a pill. He's old, right? He's like 50 or 60 or something. Oh, like oh the comic Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> the comic, okay, yeah, the yeah. comic Dark Knight Returns. He takes a pill and he fights Superman. And Superman finally hits him so hard he has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. But the pill he took was actually just a way for him to self-induce a heart attack so that he could then be brought back later. Right. Mm-hmm. Strahd could do a very similar thing. Right. 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 Like I'll I'll let you get the big fight. I'll let you beat me. But, but really, I have another exit strategy. Mm-hmm. Right. And it and it's not I'm going to stay on top in Castle Ravenloft. Maybe it's like my favorite buddy's just going to take me in my coffin, and we're going to go off west when you guys head east. Well, and I also kind of like the idea, like even in the letting them out sort of ploy. He's smart enough to recognize whether they are or not. He's smart enough to recognize that he doesn't have to let them out anywhere he wants, right? The, the mist of Ravenloft can touch anywhere. So congratulations, mm-hmm. you're out. Oh, yeah, but you're in the sixth layer of hell, you know? Yeah, fun, I, I, think you know? He, I think his thing is like, I just don't want to have to see you again. Sure, but, why, but, but <laughs> yeah, why not? Let, but let me, why not screw him over in the process? Yeah, I guess. Let, yeah. let me also let me ask you another question. Yeah. Is it possible in in your in your Ravenloft in you in your setup because you've already changed quite a few oh. things, and because they've defeated the Lich and he has the Lich's phylactery, is it possible? And and the and the old one is released, right? So, is it possible for him to, when he lets them out, for him to escape too? I, I but they don't I know so. they don't know it until later, and right. then they Maybe realize. They Right, but it would be maybe cool the, though if they also, <laughs> right, if they realized though, oh shit, yeah, we we took this deal or we did whatever and we got out, but we accidentally didn't realize that it would let him out too, yeah. and it's our fault because we defeated the lich and we let the the old one free, and those are the only that's the only situation in which he could also set it up that he could get free too. Yeah, no, is it's so yeah, right. The whole thing is he's trapped there as well, right? It's not right. his the the right. wall is not his creation. Yeah, it's a prison for him too. So who so what what in the in the book itself and you have to remind me. In the in the book itself and in in the original I6, what were the contingencies that would drop the mists? I don't remember, but that, that's what I'm saying though is yes. that you you've already ch- you could do whatever you mm. want with it, right? right? I, know. I know. I was just trying to remember what the Yeah, I, I don't remember. I, I mean, I, it's it largely up. controlled by Strahd himself, right? Um Yeah. I thought so, but I but I do remember that it's also his prison. Right. Well, so, no, yeah, he yeah. he gets to control who can, who can get in and out uh to right. to a point. I mean, there's yeah. all these people in in Barovia that have no soul, right? Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, so I had that yeah, sorry. But but yeah no I think it's largely up to him uh, assuming of course that he's around and and or the curse has not been broken, right? Yeah yeah the other little variable that can certainly play into this is that Irina does have ancient one blood in her veins though not a lot of it so she's not like Strahd, but the fact that she has ancient one blood in her veins might hose Strahd up if he thinks that she's just a normal person. Hmm. For example, he says, "Oh you know great like, like I think what he's going to do I have to be quiet again." I think what he's going to do is say, you give me Irina and I let you guys out and we're all done. Everything's everything's fine, right? If you don't, all my vampires are going to eat every one of the villages in Barovia. I'm just going to set them free and they'll, they'll kill everybody. And, you know, 
they'll do it right now. Like you don't have time to go save them. Right. You can save you know, maybe you, a few you people. Attack, but... And then they might. And then Irina says, "Okay, yeah, you know, I, I accept that. I will. I will go with him to save everybody else." And then she does, and he bites her, and he's like, "Oh my god, you are not." <laughs> you know, right. He basically bites poison Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that throws them off and then you know Irina says now I can stop the vampires she kind of stops the vampires from wiping the village and then they get to fight Strahd and and beat him normally sort of like a double Mm -hmm. a double that's one option because I'm I'm a little worried about going this far and then like they they, whatever choice they have is an anti-climax sure you know you did all this stuff and you never beat Strahd (laughs) although honestly (laughs) the way it sounds like from your group even beating Strahd is a a bit of an anti-climax right well right beating him too easily like beating him without uh, but maybe it's not maybe they're like yeah we we, we kicked his ass we're we're happy I don't know that's the hard part it's hard for me to figure that out yeah I don't know I don't know how that's gonna work because it's weird because on one hand it's it's supposed to be a horror story on the other hand um, it's clearly turned into a, a high fantasy uh, yeah, you know, Rama. Yeah. Anyway, I have taken up weight. You have taken up like twice your time. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but That's it was okay. a, it was a great big complicated mess. It is. It is a big it's complicated mess. I'll keep mine short. Yeah, and, and I, I can I've... and I can get complicated with mine uh, as well, but um, it's not a mess at this point. But before we go on to Sam, we want to thank our sponsors, Noble Knights. You can go find them at noblenight.com. They have out of print and new products available there. Uh, I had a discount, and my pick for this episode is gaming paper. Have any of you used gaming paper? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Bought some, and I I had the roll nearby. <laughs> okay. I, I never threw anything. <laughs> well, and, it's, and, and, and this is part of why I picked it. It is not a hard thing to decide to pick up and try out, because you can get a roll for on Noble Knight for $3.50. Which is nice. not a bad deal for like wrapping paper. It's yeah, really it's, it's, easy it's to... like a wrapping paper roll of, of of squares, except it's it's made of a material or in such a way or whatever that it actually lays flat. It doesn't roll like right. the wrapping paper does right. when you cut it out. Yeah. Um, it's it's twelve feet long, thirty inches wide, um, of of playing surface for for four bucks. I mean, that's does, not... does no, they also did a big pad of dungeon rooms. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I have that too. Done, yeah, 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 I had that too. They've done a That's few. They kickstarted a couple of mega dungeons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those those are on actual paper. the The roll of gaming paper is also coated with something so that you can write on it mm-hmm. and erase it, or you could you can actually use crayons on it, and they're harder to erase. But you can use crayon. So you can use all kinds of different things to write on. It's a pretty interesting product. Yeah, but actually. it's so it's so cheap. Like I ne- I never even bother to yeah. erase it. I just keep I just throw it away and then make yeah, a new one. Make a new <laughs> so, one. Yeah, of course. Yep. Very good. So gaming paper available on Noble Knight, Noble Knight for 51 cents off the normal $4 price, $3.49. Go check them out. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out of print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy, though. All right, Sam, you got 15 minutes on the clock. Go. 
All right, I'm only going to take five minutes because uh-huh, if I sure. take 15 minutes, then we're going to take a lot of time. <laughs> I spoke I spoke a little bit in the last episode about what I'm doing, so let me remind you of that in a couple of sentences, and then uh, and then I want some more brainstorming here from you guys because you guys really helped me last time when I was trying to figure out what what I could do and what all my options are. So I'm running this Numenera game, and I'm running this really heavy on intrigue game. And the PCs have really good social skills, and one of them is a noble, and they are, they've left their kingdom, they are in another kingdom, which is a, it's friendly with their kingdom, but, uh, but there's a little, there's a problem with the rulership there. Anyway, they're, they are there to assist some friends of theirs who were egg their their family was exiled their their family their mother was the former queen she was exiled the whole family was exiled she was deposed they were exiled and they're now coming back she has passed away but the, her two sons are trying to get get back some land and some respect and some prestige in their own home kingdom uh add to that this issue that we sort of I, I mentioned in the last episode about the um, the order of truth or the amber papacy which is trying mm-hmm. to really push for waging war in the north and so there's some taxation issues going on uh, and the kingdom that they're in right now is the the king that is there he's um, not horrible and there's a lot of prosperity happening right now, so nobody really wants to rock the boat. But he's also not great. And so certain leaders of some prestigious houses in in the kingdom are getting worried that if the war actually does happen, he's going to start making really bad decisions. And so there's a lot of things going on. Now, that that's sort of the kingdom-wide stuff. Here's what's happening with the characters. When they got to... The, the kingdom and they met their their friend their contact uh, they learned that his brother had been kidnapped they also learned his brother is addicted to some sort of either drug or alcohol or some kind of potion or something that is produced by one of the noble houses um, the noble the noble house also produces sort of legal legal varieties of of substances, so wine and food and different things like that. So they're very rich and they have a lot of power because they also sell this addictive substance. Um, but when they start looking into it and trying to find this guy, they start learning that they have no clue who to trust. So the current situation right now, because they find they find the brother, they they find him, and he's he's been sequestered away in in a small house, and he's kind of they assume when they fir- when he first they first come in that he's uh, like drying out, like he's trying to get through the withdrawal symptoms and so that he can break his addiction, but the ca- person who's caring for him tells them no, he's really sick. Like like something is wrong with him. He's not addi- he's not getting over an addiction. He's actually sick. But they don't know which one is true. They also learn that he has a daughter, and that's the only living heir for that family, which is trying to regain their power. So, uh, but the brother has been raising that daughter as if she's his own. So there's a power struggle amongst the family, and there's a power struggle outside the family. Uh, the group has gone around town and met a ton of different NPCs. Um, they have gone around and met a ton of very powerful people 
and they're not exactly sure who to trust. And uh, at the end of the the first session, when they started learning all this information, uh, the the brother that they thought was recovering wakes up from his fevered, uh, almost comatose state, and he sees he sees one of the PCs, and he says, "Oh." Uh, you're here, you know, did, how did you find me, and, and is my brother here? Did you bring my brother? And they said, yeah, we found you, you know, no, your brother's not here, and he says, oh, good, make sure he doesn't find out where I'm at. And when they ask why, he says, because he tried to kill me. So, <laughs> this is what they're in the middle of, that they thought they were rescuing this guy because his brother wanted to save him from this addiction. When they find the guy, turns out, he says, no, no, my brother's the one trying to kill me. Hmm. Um, so they also have been getting mixed signals about certain heads of uh, a couple of different prominent people who are heads of a couple of houses. One of them is one of the one of the people who supposedly is creating this addictive substance, who they also thought was addicted to his own product, uh, and that's that's the sort of story he peddles they found out but yet actually he's not addicted at all it's all an act um and so they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on (laughs) and uh this so we had another so that was the first session basically we had another session where they learned all about everything going on well a lot of things going on in that particular kingdom and really I mean, not very much of that's important for this story because I'm trying to keep it short. But really, um, I guess my question is, and and this is kind of a question for the audience to think about too, how much of a web is too much? Uh, because what I what I don't so right now there's enough spun and and I I take really you know I take good notes. One of the players takes really good notes and. We do a recap at the beginning of each session, you know, and and I pay attention to their recap because I want to know what they thought was important, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, And so I I sort of have an idea. I know what's happening, and and I I have an idea of what they think is important so far. Uh, The thing is I don't want to spin it too much because I I don't want it to be really anticlimactic or, or get too big so that they can't follow all of the threads. And then they have to leave some behind. Now, leaving a few behind is okay, but leaving what if they feel like they have to leave a lot behind, it's if I feel like it's not going to be satisfying. So the question is, uh, how much intrigue, ha- how much sort of web weaving and deceit mm-hmm. is enough and not too much? Yeah, this is something that I've thought on a lot because as we've discussed with my campaign, right? There's a lot of different storylines intersecting, so mm-hmm. I, I have the same question in my head and I've narrowed myself down to there's basically four storylines going on mm-hmm. um, but the the party doesn't always know that what's happening is part of what storyline like it all blends together for them um, yeah. so but that means that there's a lot of threads and there's a lot of hooks uh, and what have you although sometimes they're the same hooks and I think that's been kind of a sweet spot for me three or four really things for them to, to track and to follow um, I have found that when I, I have, like many DMs, fallen into that 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 hole of weaving this intricate plot and and 
and uh, conspiracy and intrigue and what have you, uh, and mm-hmm. then realizing at the end that I'm the only one who got it in the end, you know, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're going into a campaign saying this is going to be a mystery intrigue campaign and they're looking for that, um, I find that players don't like you can be what you think is obvious. Um, mm-hmm. on things right. and very straightforward yeah. on things and it'll still yeah. work out as a mystery for them if they're not going into it thinking it's like a super sleuth yeah. game. Yeah. So for me, I, I set it up for uh, part of the campaign pitch after conversations, you know, asking them kind of what they want and all that. So they know it's a heavy entry game. They know that there's untrustworthy people. Uh-huh. They know that there's trustworthy. There's lots of factions. I mean, so there, there's a lot of stuff I haven't mentioned, but they know all that, and, and that's what they, you know, they, they're on board with that. And I'm trying to be cognizant of keeping keeping a, a lid on it, so to speak, and not mm-hmm. letting it get too too unwieldy. But I want it to get a little bit unwieldy because I need them to feel like there's stuff going on that they can't control. Because yeah. that's part of the entry is figuring out how to... So I'm kind of like you. I, I have... There's sort of three main storylines going on, and they're really only going to get to be directly involved in resolving two of those. Mm-hmm. But there's there's like two minor storylines going on. And, and I, did, I, I sort of added those kind of at the last minute because they're sort of short little arcs that they can, they can probably resolve in like one session. Mm. And it'll be, it'll be like a satisfying, okay, well, they, they resolved this. So now they, they know that, you know they they can actually accomplish some things. They're not they're not going to have twelve sessions and then wonder, okay, what did we accomplish? And then not know what's going on. Right. Um, yeah. I, so the, the trick I'm trying. What I have going on. The, yeah. I say the trick I'm trying is that while I have these three or four different you know major threads stories going through, I'm mm-hmm. also like they all they all have a meta thread in that they're all sort of connected to the same events. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, and we can—I don't want to get too much into my game because I'm coming up next. But, um, but I think having that meta thread will. My goal, my hope, and I—I I, I haven't tr- tested it all out yet—is that by the time we get to the end and we're we're dealing with that meta thread becomes the th- story thread, that it all sort of comes together and and it all feels like a cohesive story, not just a, a collection of overlapping short stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a feel you're trying to go for, um, but I but I also hope that that makes all of the weird things that didn't make sense start to make sense when they all end up funneling together. Yeah, I mean, I, it it really is one storyline because mm-hmm. there's kind of one major thing that's going to happen, um, you know. And the other sort of the other two sort of what what I'm calling the three major things the other, the one one of them is going to happen no matter what. And they'll be involved or they won't, depending. And if they're not, it's not going to kill the game. They're going to hear about it, and it's going to affect what they do. Um, but I wanted them to feel like it's like a living world. You know, things are happening, and they don't have control over it all. And there are some things they're just never going to have control over. Sure. Can I ask and you how, a couple questions? And, and, and how do they how do they pull that in? Is the is the thing? And I know I don't want it to seem too overwhelming, but yeah, go ahead. Mike is so, put the pudding and coffee down. Now it's time the to coffee. Listen. And, yeah, coffee is done. Pudding is devoured. <laughs> <laughs> um, couple questions. Uh, yeah. Do you get a feeling from the players that it's too overwhelming? No, I don't. So they're I'm, they're eating what you're giving. Oh, they're loving it. Yeah, they're the, you know they, even what, to the point of asking questions in between sessions. Yeah. So so yeah. so I guess then you know it, it would feel to me like 
I, I, I'll tell you how I, you know, what I would do is if, if in my, my, my experience has been, um, I'll, I'll throw as much as the players can eat mm-hmm. right? and maybe just a little bit more, right? Just a little, like right. as far as the complexity should be not so much that they feel completely overwhelmed, but just enough that they feel like, wow, I'm a little unbalanced. I don't mm-hmm. think I know everything. But if they're eating up everything that you're giving, it would seem like you, you, you know, your, your pace is great. Right, your the amount is fine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good indicator. I just I just didn't know if anybody had like a you know like what Jeff said. Okay, I, well, I try for four. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like I because normally when I so the thing the other thing is it's this is in Numenera and so it's a new system for me relatively speaking. If I was running a D and D game, I probably wouldn't be as worried about it because I know that I know how to deal with tangents you know i I know how to pull them kind of off thread and Mm -hmm. give them a session that's a little more relaxed and there's kind of a side thing and you know and i'm not as experienced with that in this particular system but you know i mean a lot of that is pretty universal across yeah it is that's narrative storytelling they all all have a resolution but but, you know but you think about it differently when you're in a new system you know Mm -hmm. a new new genre at least you know my thing with numenera is what do i do with all that extra time that i'm not using in fights (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that's and and that's, entry, you know, it, right? there's a, there's only been uh, one fight for, yeah, in I, two I, sessions. I'm totally not used yeah. to that. Yeah, um, which is why I love Numenera, but I have a hard time with it. Yeah, it's a it's a lot more prep when you have that expectation. Mm, um, better better have a lot of story. Yeah, but you know, Numenera doesn't. I mean, you can have a lot of combat. It's fine to do that. That's just not the kind of game I'm running at this point. Right. So, because the system will will handle lots of combat. So, in fact, I ran a couple of one-shots beforehand to sort of introduce everybody to the system and let them know how to make characters and all that before making their actual campaign characters. And we had three or four combats per session, hmm. you know. So it, 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 it can be combat-heavy if you make it that way. This, this particular campaign just doesn't happen to be for me, so. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, it would, it would seem like, because I know... The, the the problem that I've run into is I've got crazy ass, super detailed, super complicated stories, mm-hmm. and it's clear when I sort of and and what I'll do is sort of just not like officially, but sort of unofficially quiz the group to kind of see what they've picked up, right. and and many times you know the, the group has picked up less than I expected, and then <laughs> yeah. I, I just sort of shrink the story and shrink right. the story until until they they get like oh yeah I remember that you know yeah. Yeah, but if the group is devouring everything that you know you're sending out, and they're keeping they're, up, they're not losing the yeah. The, if they're the, keeping yeah. up, great. Yeah. You know? Part part of the issue too is, and this is kind of a funny thing, but in Numenera, some of the stuff in the world is so odd, and I and I've thrown in a lot of kind of really weird yeah things, but because it's so odd. They think, oh, that must be something important. <laughs> like, we got to figure out what that thing is, and I yeah. and I have to um, end up sort of either working in a good explanation for that that makes it ma- that helps them understand that it was just something odd and cool and not something super important or I have to decide to make that thing important right um which is really actually kind of fun so or it can <laughs> it's, just it's be important kind of a, to them maybe it's not important to the story but it's just a little right. side a little sidetrack yeah. where they go and explore this weird looking thing yeah yeah so it's it's interesting but yeah it's it's a fun game i like it very good. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, Numenera has always been one of those things where b- those really odd things in the setting have always been 
a little bit of a turnoff for me, and and the reason yeah. I haven't um, in, embraced it or even picked it up. But uh, we'll see. They're so putting out all this thing, other though. stuff now that I'm really interested yeah. in. So. Here, here's the thing, though, is that the weird stuff that I throw in is my own stuff. Oh. <laughs> but because because they know that the setting has this kind of weird vibe thing, they don't know whether it's mine or whether it's the settings. Mm-hmm. And I kind of flavor it toward the things I like and that I can deal with and the things that I know they like from our other games. So... Um, you know, so it, there is there is kind of a push pull there that you know I'm using the setting, but I've I've got so much of my own stuff in there, right? Um, that it that it works. So yeah, it's 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 fun. I think what I just to give everybody a heads up, I think maybe either in the next behind the DM screen or maybe the one after that, maybe I'll talk m- a lot about mechanics in Numenera versus mm. story because right now I'm setting up the story and I'm still getting used to trying to use you know things like gm intrusion and and that sort of thing and so that might be a really good topic for the next behind the dm screen cool but your time is up as well everybody's going over we're we're almost at uh 55 minutes and i haven't even started yet well it's been a while (laughs) it has we got some catching up to do so i'm gonna start (laughs) Uh, so I've actually only had, I think, two sessions since the last time we talked, even though it's been a while, because, um, you know, with Gen Con and everything else going on, uh, beginning yeah. of, this, of two school years for me and all that, we just haven't uh, played this regularly. Plus, I th- I'm, I think we've lost a player. Um, mm. You know, he was having some health issues and was missing sessions because of pain from those health issues. Um, and now he just doesn't even respond to the calendar invites anymore. So oh, I think I think we've just lost him. Um, it's been about three months since he's made it to a session. We finally exited his character, and we had another player playing two characters just to keep him in the loop. So when he showed up again, he'd it'd be there for him. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so so we're down to four regular players and myself. Um, mm-hmm. So if somebody can't make it, we just don't have a game that week, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and we only play twice a month, so sometimes that means we only have one game a month. Um, so and so so I guess short uh, version here uh, is if anybody's in the Raleigh, North Carolina area and wants to join a group, <laughs> I think I've, I've made that pitch before. But email the Tome Show at gmail.com. Um, but uh, so we've played twice since then, and I think the last time we talked. Um, we uh, had just finished the Battle of Lingdenstone. Does that sound right? Or were we just going into it? I don't remember. I don't remember yeah, either. I don't either. So, so anyway, the Battle of Lingdenstone happened, and then Eldath and, and her crew that escaped Vel- um showed up right before the Battle of Lingdenstone, uh, mm-hmm. which is the entire reason they had gone into the Underdark was to find Eldath because she was part of the Dwarven delegation right. from, from right. Yep. Uh, Prince yep. of the Apocalypse, right? And the, and the Battle of Lingdenstone, you're talking about all the slimes and oozes and yes. jellies and oaks yes. and stuff. Yeah. And the, the Pudding King and all that. So they, yeah, they, right. they defeated the Pudding King. Um, you know, they, they feel like, uh, although it's not accurate, they assume that they have successfully staved off a summoning of Jewablex, right? They thought that's what was going on. <laughs> Yeah. Um, is that that Jewablux was being summoned, not knowing that no Jewablux is actually already in the Underdark and doing things, and that's how the Pudding King became the, the Pudding King. So, in any case, that finished, uh, and they they wanted to follow up with this NPC that they met in the market, uh, who's from Blingdenstone, from the adventure Kazook. You remember Kazook? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, yeah, I, and I don't know who's Mike. Did you run this adventure? 
Yes. Okay. So, so Kazook is this merchant who you know creates the exploding potion if, going into the battle that blows out a wall, so they can sneak in a way that they that the puddings weren't expecting or whatever. Um, but I also threw in this thing that you know behind his stall in the marketplace was a a fully um, intact uh, automaton Japanese robot character because remember we're post apocalyptic Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but but completely inactive. <laughs> But one of our players is one of those creatures, right? So he oh. was particularly like, what is this thing? How did you get it? Where is it from? And give it back to me. It's mine. You know, <laughs> you know like he was, <laughs> you know, well, uh, you know, I, I just found it in this place, these ruins, these these old gnome, uh, deep gnome ruins off in the way. I'll totally show you uh, the way, whatever you want, right? Very friendly because he wants to study What's going on? He's just curious. This I, I sort of made him into a, a bit of a, a of a tinkerer. This this Kazook mm-hmm. character. So he he after the Battle of Blingnestone shows them or gives them a map to um, this old these old Sverfneblin ruins and connected to these Sverfneblin ruins, kind of embedded into one of the cavern walls is an old factory, you know, an old you know modern day or or you know slightly more advanced than modern day factory. Uh, in fact, um, the logo was clearly a C and D, and if they could decipher the ancient Japanese, because they're kind of in the Japan area, um, they would have recognized that they, and I think they did eventually figure out that the, the factory was labeled uh, Cyberdyne Systems Incorporated. Cyberdyne being <laughs> from Terminator, yeah. right? Right, right. Uh, so just throwing in my little pop cult- modern-day pop culture references. Um, and so they, so we did this whole dungeon crawl in in a factory full of of automatons, which were all different models of the same kind of automaton that the RPC is. Uh, and so is this, you know. So we're fighting, and and that's where uh, Toma Beast came in really handy for me because there's a whole section yeah. on automatons, right? So I pulled out those, and I took a bunch of uh, traps that James Intercaso has on uh, DMs Guild, and I reskinned them as sort of modern day security systems, uh, and nice. and that became the whole dungeon. And then at the end, there was a Demi Lich, who was the former CEO of the company. And so a, a wealth of knowledge for them. Um, and, and as a result of their handling her through diplomacy, they got a copy of all of her, her notes and things, which is the equivalent of – we now have access to Kobold Press's uh, – was it Deep Magic, uh, Clockwork yeah. Magic? Yeah, right. Because um, that fits in really well with the whole thing as well. And her whole deal was uh, she's still trying to perfect the system. Of how to create these these gear forged automatons because we're using the gear forged stats also from Cobalt Press, um, and so the trick is she never figured out how to how to complete the power source, right? Uh, she knows that they were going with this gym sort of encapsulating thing. They tried um, um, entrapping demons into it, but those created the abomination clockworks um, that were in Toma Beast and that didn't go so smooth and so they were trying all these different things and she just never quite got it figured out. Somebody in the factory clearly must have figured it out and so it was basically a let me look at your power source and I'll let you go free and give you all my notes, copies of all my notes because then I can figure out how to perfect the system completely ignoring the fact that somebody perfected it a long time ago. That's why this this character, uh, this player character exists, right? Mm-hmm. And what they discover is that they're powered through a soul gem which kind of freaked out the character, right? He's not—he's not fond of this idea of, um, you know, that I am being powered by by somebody's trapped soul. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and so that all happens, and and um, they they leave the factory. They are then going to head. This is you know getting into the next session, which just happened a week ago. Um, they're they're getting ready to head out of the Underdark. We run the I run the encounter from out of the abyss where they try to escape, and the Drow sort of try to stop them. And I try to mm-hmm. I amped up the the difficulty level a little bit. Um, but they eventually managed to escape, and I gave them three. Uh, they basically came up with three different options in terms of where they could try to exit the Underdark. And Kazook went along with them as a chance to study, but also be their guide. Uh, and they could come up um, in the same city that they went down in, Cragspire. They could come up in Disaran Island in order to get Eldath back to the Dwarven delegation, and then we'd just pick up with um, uh, Princess of the Apocalypse, you know, because now we're back in Disaran, right? Uh, or mm-hmm. they could come up um, in the the island that is also the military base for the organization that they're part of. Like they're they're a, a semi-autonomous group within this military organization called the Citadel Defense Force. And so they they chose to come up on Citadel Island, figuring, hey, we can check in, and it's kind of the closest, and we just want to get the heck out of the Underdark. <laughs> so they they came out there, um, you know, which, which was great for the CDF because they could finally you know debrief and figure out what the heck is going on. And all this other stuff. Uh, and while they're doing that, they, they seem to have a particular interest in um, uh, our, our automaton character. Mm-hmm. His name, by the way, is uh, Major Tom Stardust. He's a big David Bowie yeah. tribute, right? And, and uh, ironically, that, yeah. ironically, he, he created that character as, a, as a, a David Bowie tribute like two or three weeks before David Bowie died. Uh, yeah. Right. In fact, the whole group is called Black Stars, which was the name of Bowie's last album. Right. So the, there's all kinds of stuff. Like I look through Bowie lyrics to throw in little references throughout the whole campaign just to, to make them giggle. <clears throat> so, um, but in any case, so so that's really. Uh, and I've been layering in this this sort of Admiral uh, Gray, Admiral Nola Gray character, as sort of sending some of the characters' messages of, "Hey, keep an eye on Major Tom. We want to figure out how he works. We want to <laughs> figure out how you know what what's going on there." Um, and, and they finally get to f- sort of find out why when they get to the CDF headquarters, the, to the island again. And, you know, after some debriefs and Major Tom f- flips out at one point because of all the attention that he doesn't want and, and this interest in the soul gems and all that. And so he just leaves. And so they <clears throat> send somebody after him at one point and meet him at a secret island off the, off the coast of the island or whatever, which has another similar factory that they've been under control of this whole time. And in fact, there is a warehouse full of automatons just like him, but they mm-hmm. can't figure out how to turn them on. Uh, and, and their issue is they figured out the process of, of harnessing the soul, but they can't figure out how to actually make the gems. Mm-hmm. So the combined knowledge of both factories, that they, you know, the knowledge they got before and the knowledge the CDF already had, is now going to allow them to, to make, uh, a, you know, wake up an army of gear forged, um, which they, they feel like they need because there's these insectoid hive creatures sort of invading their territory all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they want this this never tiring army, uh, and it eased a little bit of his mind because what he found out was the process of harnessing a soul into a soul gem has to be voluntary, mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? And so that eased his mind a little bit. Okay, so there wasn't some un- unwitting soul or whatever. And he's <laughs> right. got this whole thing that that he wants. Um, he wants to. He keeps making references to like brief flashes of memory that aren't damaged in his in his data tapes or whatever. Uh, and, and, and they're all Bowie references, right? So at one point in time, he wants there to be a character who is the man who sold the world, which is a, a Bowie reference as well, mm-hmm. right? And so what 
I, I've layered in, and, and as I've thought more about it in the last few weeks, I've really come around on this sort of meta plot for him of um, the man who sold the world is actually going to be the man who sacrificed his soul to create him. So in some ways, he is the man who sold the world. Um, nice. So, so yeah, so I think that'll be fun. Um, but I and I kind of expected that that's where that session would end. That that's all the further they would get. You know, they'd get out of the underdark. We'd have that big combat encounter. There'd be all this role playing uh, opportunities um, on the island, uh, and that would probably be all the further we got. And then I looked at my watch and realized we still had like three hours left. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay. Um, we're, so what's next? Well, I guess we should get Eldath back to Disarin to meet up with the rest of the delegation and, and keep her safe and whatever. So they got her back. Um, you know, in, with a few little encounters along the way. So we're, they ended up back at Red Larch. They got her taken care of, and then they figured out, okay, well, I guess we should head back to the Sacred Stone Monastery, which is the first of the haunted temples that they went to, um, and figure out how to get past that one door we can't get past so that we can go after the rest of the delegation, which is down further in, into the, the temple of, well, the whatever, the, the temple of elemental evil earth or whatever that's down there. So they're down there somewhere, these two remaining uh, Dwarven delegation members. Uh, and so on the way there, they happen to have run into an encounter with a, um, a bunch of people on flying vultures mm-hmm. who, who were hunting manticores and doing all kinds of stuff, which because they happen to be passing right by uh, Feathergale Spire, which is right. the, the air temple. So, so that was my way of sort of trying to get them to that without just going back to Sacred Stone Monastery and fig- figuring out that they can't get anywhere because they still don't have the keys they need. Right. Uh, and so we ended up running that whole thing, and they, they actually bluffed their whole way into Feathergale Spire by claiming to be a, a group of traveling musicians. And they heard that they were having a celebration, uh, hmm. and, and so they showed up and got entrance as traveling musicians, which was ironic because only one of them performs, and it's the, and it's the automaton, because he's the bard. Uh, which we play off as he's got a big speaker in his chest and the entire <laughs> library of David Bowie songs. <laughs> right? So every time he casts a spell, it's another David Bowie song. Uh, and so they performed and they and then the, the manticore showed up and they did the, uh, several of them did the big manticore hunt and we got a little bit into the, the places where, where game mechanics fall apart uh, in terms of realism because um, the crazy barbarian who just thought this sounded like a, a great amount of fun uh, hops on his giant vulture. Um, his whole strategy is he got above the manticore and then jumped onto its back, uh, which was semi-successful. Like he was actually hanging onto the tail and getting whipped around and bitten and all kinds of stuff until they finally killed the manticore and then he just rode it to the ground. Mm. But it was a several hundred feet fall, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they did some things to to sort of mitigate it down to about a hundred foot fall. And then he's like, well, how much damage is that? And well, a hundred feet, it's, it's what D six per 10 feet. So it's going to be 10 D six damage and whatever. He's like, all right, I can do, I can take that. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so he survived a hundred foot fall on the back of a manticore. So we, pl- I played it off as, um, he sort of grabbed the manticore by the wings and rode it down so right. the manticore took the brunt of the fall for him, and they sort of uh, there's the, the 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 sort of canyon on the edge where the the entrance to the actual temple is that yeah. he sort of slid it down the side of that canyon, and so it just became a paste under his feet, and he sort of rolled the rest of it that way because otherwise, yeah any, big, yeah, any big aerial fight has to have some way for a PC to jump on the back of something and still survive, and still survive, really right? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and he was com- and he was completely prepared to die. Like he's like you know yeah. he's like you know what this is a blast. If this is the way I go out, so be it. You know. Right. So he he well, was he knew that going into it. Yeah, one of my favorite exchanges was the wait a minute. So you're stabbing the dragon that you're riding with a sword. What happens if it dies? Yeah, and he says, that's a problem for six seconds from now. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right, that, and that was his attitude. Right. In fact, I should have given him inspiration for it, and I didn't. I'll have to do that at the beginning of the next session. Uh, so that's kind of where they left off, and I'm kind of hoping they they pull that thread of the the air temple folks. Um, I, I had the the one um, the guard member of the 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 temple. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of do the whole, hey, you know, we're really a secret cult to Yancy Ben. You should join us. You guys are awesome, sort of thing. Because that's actually in the adventure, right? That they that right. she does that. Um, so I'm hoping that they follow through on that and get, you know, the other another part of the key that they need there and recognize. Then, oh, well, this is what we need to do. We need to find these other places and go and go get those before we can go to the Sacred Stone. Um, right. They've also got. We've also got the situation where they left the Lich in Sacred Stone. Uh, you remember the Lich? Yeah. Okay, so so they left this lich in charge, and basically the lich made a deal with them. Look, you drive out the stupid cult, and I mm-hmm. will keep the cult out. You know, right. uh, the treasure, the, the lich of treasure, right? right. The, the lich who's like, hey, I'm not so bad. I'll you know, yeah. here's a ring of fire protection, and here's some. Well, and and they also they also brokered the the openings of negotiations with the the paladins of the was it Summit Hall where they're. Where they're keeping the, uh, the the Knights of Samalar that are keeping the body of his brother that he wants, right? Uh, so they opened up and brokered those uh, to start those negoti- negotiations, and then and then took off to go do their other stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of curious to go back anyway, just to see how that all turned out. And, and I'm and I'm and I'm not sure exactly how I want to go on that. Like, do I want to reward their efforts to broker that deal and, and have them reach some sort of tenuous alliance? Or do I highlight the fact that, you know, he's still a lich and there's a certain amount of evilness involved in that process and, you know, have him come back to, to find the, the dead and broken bodies of the paladins scattered across the, the, the monastery or whatever just to say, okay, well, I guess that didn't go well, you know. <laughs> right. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm at. Hmm. Any thoughts? What should oh, I sounds do? cool. What should I do with that lich? And and the the knights. I don't know. Should I have him be a a trusted ally or betray that because, you know, it's a lich? Uh, The trusted ally is okay. The problem is, you know, like if they ever turned him into a real villain, like liches are hard. Unless, you know. (laughs) I don't know. Your level eight characters took him out in two rounds. Unless you're Mike's level seven characters. Yeah, yeah. right. And they can eat the lich. My guys are like six. It all comes down to who wins initiative at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Someone's eating a kill. Yeah. I mean, my answer to that is, you know, which one is expected? Do the opposite. So, like, it's expected that the Lich is going to backstab them or betray them in some way. So just don't have them do it. And oh, they're going to expect I, th- I think they have the opposite you know. expectation. I think that they think really? that it's going to work out for them. Cause, well, because they know me as a DM, and that's how I've played it yeah. in the past, where you know, just because you expect it to be bad, it's not always right. So I've always tried to – What does the lich want in your mind? Yeah. Like, rather than deciding whether or not the lich is going to betray them or not, you kind of go to go to the lich and say – what is he? What you know? What does the lich desire? Right. So the the lich. Oh no. Well, so wait, wait. There's a secondary question to that. What does the lich not want? Yeah. Same. Right. right. That, sometimes that's a more important question because right. they don't always work on their motivations. 
sometimes they work against something that they don't sure. want to happen. Yeah, and I'm not sure what the Lich doesn't want, um, but I know, like, I mean, his his stated motivation is he he wants the body of his brother back so he can inter him in the in the crypt that he's built for him, mm-hmm. um, and the knights who are named for his brother and created as an order that follows his brother's sort of path um, are not too keen on the idea of giving up the body of their founder. So in terms of, of what does he want, I, I, I would imagine that the negotiations would at least break down back to the stalemate that they were in before, if not mm-hmm. turned into a bloody mess. Yeah. Which I think would be more shocking and surprising to them as well, but... I've also burned them uh, at times when they've been away, you know, punished them for not, yeah. for not being in, in a certain place at a certain time before, which is not entirely mm. their fault. They were following the storyline that existed. Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. I guess I got a week or so to, to sort it through. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my the way I would deal with that, if I wasn't sure, and I do this a lot, I just sort of think about, well, what are the two choices, right? He's either going to stab him in the back or he's not. If he did, what what kind of, like, two conditions would have to happen to make him decide to do that? Mm-hmm. And if those conditions are met, then that's the way you go. But whether those conditions are met mm-hmm. or not depend on the actions of the players or of the PCs. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of takes it out of your hands, but you have an idea of... of two or three different ways it could go mm-hmm. and then let their actions determine that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and, and now that I'm, now that we're talking about it, maybe the way I go is, um, negotiations have started to break down, but it hasn't turned into an all out brawl yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So the party sort of gets there just in time to decide what's going to, or to help decide what's going to happen. Right. Because ultimately yeah. the Lich also doesn't want the cult to come back into the monastery. He rather hmm. likes having the place to himself, um, and not getting himself him, himself involved in the war, in a war with a bunch of paladins would probably be conducive to that. Yeah, and not to disagree with my my good friend Sam, but um, <laughs> the, you know there, there are more than one those two options, right? It's not whether he's well, yeah, yeah. or not. It's about what is yeah, he. Yeah. He might have a thing that's sort of perpendicular, a goal that's perpendicular mm-hmm. to the PC right. that he's going to achieve. That may not necessarily result in me either being best friends with the PCs or betraying them, mm. but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying a for that was a for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think maybe what I want to do now is go back to the original adventure and see if I can find other places where he might connect to the storyline. Because I mean, largely he doesn't, right? In the it, as written, he's just sort of he happens to be sharing this building with the 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 cult, right? right. Um, but I wonder if there's not another place where I couldn't connect him. Um, you know, maybe he's got some sort of connection to that. What was it? There's like a dragon or something that they're, the cult is trying to woo at one point. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right, Mike? Say that again. Wasn't there a dragon or something that the cult was trying to woo at one point? Oh, I can't remember. Like they were they, the like they were finding dead bodies of people out on the road or something, and it turned out that there was this dragon that the cult was trying to get on board. I don't know. There's <sighs> something about that. I thought it was in Fandelver. Is that in? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm going to look into it. <laughs> so, I need to go back to the adventure, and we are at an hour and 15 minutes for yeah. this recording, so um, we don't need to sort through things for books that are not in the rooms with us. So, <laughs> Anyway, any last questions or thoughts for me? Yeah, it sounds cool. 
right. Yeah. Yeah. You sound like you're. You've got lots of things, but you kind of. They're pretty solid. So. Yeah, they're they're going pretty smooth, and all this whole time, like they're also slowly collecting pieces of the rod of seven parts. But the next piece is is a long Mm -hmm. ways away, and I'm kind of thinking it's going to be over by Gontelgrim. So that when they head over to get that piece, it'll be about the same time that they have the conclave at Gontelgrim to go back into the Underdark, and so we kind of weave these these all all these things together. So, it's all kind of flowing pretty well like the party doesn't care at all about the i shouldn't say they don't seem to be focusing at all on the fact that there's uh, demon lords running around in the underdark you know but once <laughs> once one, because they have a mission right right get this dwarven delegation back to gonsalgrim but once they do hey while we're here maybe the the cdf is like hey go check out this thing you know we are a little concerned about the fact there's that demogorgon is running below uh, under our feet yeah so, uh, so yeah, I think it'll it, it's all flowing together. These these three advent there's basically three published adventures, and then the other thread is the whole um, gear forged hive creature storyline that I'm creating whole cloth, um, which is you know flowing. It's all flowing together really well. I'm I'm kind of pleased with the way it's happening. So, mm. all right. Well, at an hour and sixteen and a half minutes, I think it's time to wrap this up uh, and Very say good. say goodbye to everybody. Uh, so this has been Behind the Name Screen. I am Jeff. There's Mike and Sam. Uh, say goodnight, guys. Goodnight, guys. <laughs>